Welcome to the Daily Canon Podcast. Here to talk all things Arsenal is your host, Matthew Wade. Hello again, listeners, and welcome to another Daily Canon Weekly Podcast. It's a calm and happy and content Daily Canon Weekly Podcast with a bit more joy than the negative emotions that have become rather more familiar over the last few months. And joining me to discuss two more wins in a row, that's right, that's three wins in a row, is Paul Williams. How are you, Paul? I'm very well, mate. How are you? I'm not too bad. Not too bad. Uh, quite apart from the festive restive, um, there's also been uh, obviously uh, seeing the Arsenal back to winning ways and more importantly, back to winning ways in ways that are actually appealing to watch us back to winning is a definite change for the better. Uh, although, as is the same for yourself, work looming on the horizon is, is a bit of a disappointment. Mm. So, yeah. Uh, no, no, I was going to ask how it's been for you. Well, yeah. <laughs> funnily enough, it's been quite good. Uh, um, I mean, obviously, the, we last spoke uh, before the game at Brighton, after the Chelsea game, but, which seemed a bit like a Christmas miracle, as we sort of referred to it as the time. Um, but, uh, you know, I think, I think we were obviously hoping that it wasn't a flash in the pan, but feeling optimistic about what followed. And apart from perhaps the dullest first half in history against Brighton uh, a couple of days later, it's all been rather happy, hasn't it? I mean, what was your take of the Brighton game first before we get into last night's fun fest? Um, I thought we started that game reasonably well without doing anything that was too exciting. We were in control of it largely. And then Mohamed El Nani misplaced a pass on the edge of our box, which led to. Um, about 15 minutes of panic, as I recall it. And, um, I mean, Brighton looked like they might score, but, of course, they didn't. I think the closest they came was the save that Leno made low down on his near post. But once we got to half-time at nil-nil, um, it, it's always difficult to know how things are going to go with Arsenal, isn't it? But they started the second half well, took control of the game. Um without wanting to reduce that 90 minutes into, you know, two incidents. Saka created the chance for Aubameyang, and I think it's just a bit difficult the way things are going for Auburn at the moment, that the keeper made a save that he had really not much idea about. Um, but then, of course, um, Arteta brings uh, Lacazette on, and with his first touch, well, with his first touch, he controls, but with his second touch, he absolutely drills a, a great finish into the corner of the net. And I think Brighton huffed and puffed from then on. And I, I don't know if they played into our hands a little bit. It was a slightly strange selection uh, to leave Mopay off um, out of the starting lineup. I'm, I'm not sure why that happened and why Welbeck never made it onto the pitch. Uh, I think Colin Mark came on. Yeah, and he's someone that's caused Arsenal trouble in the past. Um, but I felt we were reasonably comfortable. And I think, I mean, you know, I, I tweeted at halftime that, you know, the Chelsea game already felt like a mirage. Um, but it, it's one of those games that when you look back on it and perhaps it could have gone either way, it went for us and it felt a little bit like a typical away win at Christmas where you, you just do enough. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, the game could have easily finished the draw. I think 
but it didn't. Uh, and we've been on the wrong end of a, a few results like that in the um, yeah in the last few weeks. So I'm not going to complain when we get a result. Yeah, and I, to be honest, I was expecting the Brighton game to be a little bit like it was uh, once once I saw the two lineups. I mean, n- not that I was disappointed with the Arsenal lineup, you know. Uh, Lacazette had worked very hard against Chelsea, so it made sense for Oba to start, and obviously Oba was back fit, and we're still trying to work out what our best forward line combination is. Um, but it was only, you know, three days later, after the Lord Mayor's show, if you will, uh, the Chelsea game was clearly, you could see, but in the last 10 minutes, was a big physical effort for the players. Um, they were they were sort of out on their feet, you know, by the time it came to injury time in that game. And um, Brighton as you say, didn't pick the most convincing lineup. They seem to seem to use us as the rotation game for some of their attacking players. Although I noticed Welbeck didn't play uh, play against Wolves either, so maybe he's got a little knock, or maybe he's fallen out of favour, or something. I'm not quite sure. Um, and so I, I saw the saw the team, and I thought, well, unless unless we get a a, a really good start, I expect this to be a bit a bit well. A bit like, the, as you say, the fixture usually is at this time of the year. It's not the Boxing Day game, which is generally quite exciting. It's the one between that and the New Year's game, which is always a bit of a slog. And if you looked at the other results at the same time, there were a lot of low-scoring games, a lot of low-quality games uh, played over those couple of days. And uh, it was sort of a bit to be expected. I have to say, I, I didn't even think Brighton threatened really in that first half even when they had their sight apart from El Nini trying to play through balls to their attacking midfielders um, there was I still felt we were the more likely to score even though we were playing far too slowly and not with the same um, ambition or energy as we saw against Chelsea um, just because Brighton looked totally toothless and they didn't and they seemed to they look like a team that doesn't score many goals, and they also look like they're a team that doesn't score many goals that look knew they didn't have any of their goal scorers in the team. Yeah. Um, so there wasn't a lot of confidence from them, from them on that front. Um, and then, obviously, as you say, the second half uh, commenced, and, and we came out with rather more vim and vigor, and and moving the ball a bit quicker, being a bit more progressive and assertive. Should have scored before we did, as you said. Uh, an excellent, if I don't know how conscious it was, save from uh, the Aubameyang chance. Um, and and even though Oba didn't have a great game, and we'll get onto the West Brown game in due course, against Brighton, the fact he got into that position to have that chance was good, because that's something we haven't seen a little bit. Um, and then, of course, a, a fantastic finish from Lacazette um, after great individual play from Saka. I mean, a re- you know, People were, were sort of reacting as if it was just a, like a standard finish, but given some of the chances we've been missing of late, I mean, it was a real eye of the needle shot, wasn't it? I mean, there was definitely, yeah. He, he had about had about a foot and a half's worth of space that he could possibly put that ball in as a channel, and he picked it perfectly. Um, and uh, you know, great substitution. Although it's probably a substitution that we'd all called because Martinelli looked shagged by the time that Lacazette came on. And we're obviously don't want to risk him uh, re-injuring his knee, etc. Um, but yeah, and then we we dropped back possibly a little too much after we scored against Brighton. But 
apart from set pieces, you know, where they've got some very tall people in there, they, they offered really very little, I thought. So it was quite a comfortable sort of rearguard action, if you will, attempting to play on the break. Um, I mean, who for you stood out for us in the Brighton game, if any? It's really, <laughs> it feels like such a long time ago now. Hmm. Saka, obviously, uh, um, you know, the, the turn away from Van Burn and then once he was running away, he was never going to be caught. Um, and again, he continues to impress with the way he's able to do the right thing at speed um, more often than not. Um the guys at the back, I think, comfortable again. Um, Martinelli's work rate. I, th- I sort of feel that maybe Lacazette sort of benefited in a way. Mm. Martinelli come on and run run a defence slightly ragged, and you know, um, what, once defenders become more tired, then you start to get gaps, and right, maybe not. Um, Lacazette still has to make that finish. Um, it's uh, yeah, I, I, I'm finding it really difficult <laughs> with the stretch of time over Christmas to, to, to think back. I've, I've got notes about Saka, El Nenny's loose pass of Lacazette, and I've, um, well, I know, wanted, well, I wanted to pick up on something you just said because you, you you started to say the name Pablo Mari and then you kind of stopped yourself to make it apply to the whole defence. And um, I mean, much like we said against Chelsea, clearly he's going to have issues on the turn and issues against very quick players because he's slow and turns slowly. <laughs> you know, he's he, he seems uh, one step up from being the Spanish Pascal Sigan to me. Uh, for the for, for for those listeners who've been w- watching watching Arsenal for for long enough, um, uh, but even less likely to be brought on to f- to fill in at left wing. Um, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, you know, Seagan looked ropey because we had Sol Campbell and Tony Adams and people like that keeping him out of the team. Whereas you know, at least at least Papa Marie seems to be a, a defender that knows his game. Has good positional sense. Is good in the air. Clearly, composed on the ball. And uh, I saw a fun stat that came out after last night's game is that he's uh, played 384 Premier League minutes for Arsenal so far, and in that time we've conceded one goal. Now, obviously, uh, that's not sustainable, and obviously it's a reflection of some of the opponents we've been playing against during that time. But uh, given that, yeah, I mean, if the only goal we've conceded with him in the team is that borderline offside, onside, Tammy Abraham goal when Chelsea were kind of where we'd run out of legs, although admittedly they should have scored a penalty as well, but we'll, we'll gloss over that. You know, that shows that at least there's a defender who can do a job for us if he isn't ultimately our first choice. And his deficiencies are very clear, but he seems to play as if he knows what they are. And at least we have the comfort of knowing what's going of predictability as fans, you know, rather than the Mustafi axis of a defender that should be really, really good, but just does inexplicable things a little too often. Uh, Whereas we haven't seen yet any evidence that Pablo Marie is as prone to the inexplicable. Um, So, you know, that in itself allows for a slightly more planning, I suspect. The other thing I want to 
touch on from from the Brighton game because it links directly into the West Brom game. Is again, I thought I thought against Brighton, although Saka was very good uh, for bits in the second half. I thought that Smith Rowe was again our best player in that game. Uh, just again, not through doing anything spectacular, but just through unselfishness, being always there to provide an option, always running, uh, going left and right and what have you, and dropping deep and just making it easier for all the rest of his teammates, which is an underrated quality of that role, actually. And it was one of the things that people people often didn't appreciate about Mesut Ozil when he was playing well, is that actually for all Ozil's defensive incompetence and lack of willingness. Uh, when we were in possession, he was very good at making life easier for all his other teammates, which is why even when he wasn't spectacular, he was always playing for Germany when they were at their, be- when they were at their best in that 10-year, eight to 10-year run. You know, particularly I've had a lot of people sort of try and diminish his contribution to the 2014 World Cup win because he didn't, he wasn't as spectacular as in 2010. But he was there ultimate continuity guy he was the guy that just meant you know you give it to me we'll progress the ball you'll get the ball back where you want it um and uh you know we we can discuss what we want and we have done before so there's not a lot of point going over again but Ozil's diminishing powers but Smith Rowe was bringing some of that um to the game at Brighton which I think allowed us to feel more confident in possession in the opposing half than we have done previously um but as you've said, the Brighton game wasn't particularly memorable. Uh, so let's talk about, uh, well, giving Big Sam a spanking. <laughs> How much did you enjoy that, Mr. Williams? Oh, it was, it was lovely. Um, I suppose, it, in a way, maybe not too much of a surprise because for all of Sam's attitude about, he, he likes to big himself up as someone that's given Arsenal a bloody nose on more occasions than we'd like to remember. But he's actually lost um, 20 of the games that he's played against us out of 34, conceding 69 goals in the process. Um, that includes last night, actually. Yeah, but, um, crucially, only six wins in them. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think... Uh, yeah, he's, he's kind of set himself up as Arsenal's boogeyman and it's not really the case. I mean, you know, in mitigation, you'd say with West Brom, he's clearly got a team that I'm not finding Premier League life very easy. I don't know if it, as you, you feel with this team, um, my friend Steve was saying last night, he was that West Brom were the best side he saw in the Championship last season. Um, so I wonder how much they're affected. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's got a season ticket. So he's seen them all. He's seen them all last season. Who, who, um, who's his team? QPR. God, because I saw West Brom quite a few times last season and I thought they had some good individual players, but I I thought they were really fucking lucky to go up. <laughs> well, they turned out to be, didn't they? Because Brentford cause it could easily have taken it off them at the end and... They, yeah. they I mean, up, Brentford bottled they? it, but Brentford were by far a better team than West Brom last season. But of course, a QPR fan is not going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. He he was sort of pulling them for them to go up. I, I guess when they were competing with Fulham, maybe that choice is a little easier. But uh, anyway, the point being, I, I do think with West Brom, probably they're they're 
one of those archetypal teams that Arsenal would go to and there's 25,000 screaming Midlanders chucking, well, I was going to say bottles of piss. Obviously, they wouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but just creating an intimidating atmosphere for Arsenal to play in. And of course, they haven't, they weren't able to do that. And actually, what what I was really impressed with with Arsenal yesterday was the way they just came out and from minute one, they were on the front foot. And it's, again, it's something we've talked about on the pod over the last few weeks. Arsenal being on the front foot, not being passive in possession. We just went for them and, um, you know, the longer it went on without Arsenal um, breaking through, you wonder if it's going to be one of those games. Um, and then finally we did. And then then we get, again, I'm probably skipping ahead a little bit, the second goal. But then you start worrying, is the game going to be called off because of this weather? Yeah, please, yeah, please, yeah. please, let's carry on playing. Um, I, I, you know... Um, caveat opposition not great and all that but to see Arsenal play like that yesterday was absolutely joyful yeah I mean clearly the opposition weren't great and uh I mean I would say that I understand why the West Brom board appointed Allardyce you know his great record at keeping teams up he's never been relegated you know also traditionally West Brom have been a bit more of a industrial team in recent years but this particular group of players they've got are very much molded in Slavin Bilic's way of playing, which is extremely progressive. Lots of ball present, you know, lots of creative players attacking in mindset. And yes, they've been found out at Premier League level because basically, at Premier League level, if you if you can't keep things tight at the back, or you don't have a lethal goal scorer you're going to be in trouble and if you've got neither you're definitely going to be in trouble and and that's you know i mean if you it's the bizarre thing is of course is poor old sheffield united are sitting there with bugger all points but sheffield united don't actually concede many goals you know uh, they just haven't scored any whereas west, west brom conceded an absolute boatload of goals and we had would already consider the most in the division before um before yesterday uh, and it just seems like a really bad fit because I don't I think there's probably only about four or five of the players in their squad who you'd normally would be in a Sam Allardyce squad if you know what I mean mm. they've got lots of kind of nimble tricky playmaking wide men stroke uh attacking midfielders um or sort of progressive but not not that great central midfielders you know uh and so they don't really seem set up to play big sample, um, which is oft- which is obviously defensive solidity and a bit more industrial, um, you know, I- unless he can f- blag a JJ Okocha from somewhere or something like that. But um, so it, it doesn't seem like a good fit. And and we smelt that weakness early, didn't we? That uh, Arsenal team yesterday and just really went for them. Uh, I couldn't help thinking... For, for for Kieran Tierney's utter brilliance even before his goal and then throughout the game he played like a man who had just seen Celtic lose 1-0 to an own goal to Glasgow Rangers with a man <laughs> you know he played he played I hadn't thought of it like that 
you know, the f- in fact, is Celtic lost 1-0 to Rangers in a game they were dominating. They got a player stupidly sent off and then let in an own goal. And so he would have been pissed about that. And he played like a man who was l- looking to make sure that that didn't happen to him. <laughs> um, yeah. I thought it was quite funny when he was interviewed after the game and he said um, the lads were saying, oh, it was a cross which uh, put me in mind of Kaio Saka uh, against Chelsea. And I was watching that goal again um, the other day. And it occurred, you know, I I said last week, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt, London Borough of Ealing and all that. And watching it again, if he wasn't having a shot, I don't actually know who he was crossing the ball to. So I definitely think he meant it. And, yeah, I know Tierney was joking yesterday, but he meant that as well, didn't he? It was um, a wonderful finish. Yeah, well, I said at the time uh, that, that Saka had uh, had meant it, so I'm glad people are coming around to my way of thinking. But also uh, with Tierney last night, I particularly enjoyed that the goal was preceded by his push and run that he used to do all the time for Celtic, which is just, I'm just going to knock it past you and, and run past you. I, I don't need to be particularly clever. But then he was clever after that by then cutting inside and leaving the defender to get space. And it was a great finish from a player whose right foot is fairly rarely seen, shall we say. Uh, Well, it is funny because I I remember um, when we were looking to sign him and obviously that went on for a few weeks and my mate adds, um, I'd call him a friend of the podcast, but I don't know how often he listens to this. (laughs) Here and Tierney questions he gives us. Um, he, he sent through a clip of Tierney and there, there was one game in particular where he basically did what he did mm. last night, but slightly more intricately and perhaps a couple more players before banging one into the top corner with his wrong foot. So he, he has got it in, in the locker. Yeah, as you say, not quite as surprising as when Nigel Winterburn did it against either Wimbledon or Chelsea about... <laughs> Wimbledon. Yeah, yeah with his right foot from God knows how far out. And we're like, we'd never seen him kick it with his right foot before. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was a great, a great goal. And it was very much a case of someone taking control of the situation. And I'm just chuffed because, you know, you know that I was a, a massive Kieran Tierney fan when he was playing for Celtic and had been advocating us to buy him for a while. And indeed, the club had been looking at him for about two or three years and tried to get him either a year or two before. But um, but Brendan Rodgers wouldn't let it happen, which is probably fair enough, given how good he was. Um, so I'm really pleased to see him now playing, not just at the level, but the level of impact for Arsenal that he was doing for Celtic before he started getting some injury problems. Uh, and given his age, if if he can stay injury free, which you know we need to find a way to give him a rest soon, for the love of God, um, particularly with Kalasinac being banished to Schalke, um, you know, he's only going to improve. And I mean, as people have been saying for a while, that's all being well without any injuries. That's our left back for the next six, seven years sorted. Done. Nice one. Um, And showing great leadership as well, which is, which, which is also, you know, uh, a lot of people have been calling him next Arsenal captain and, you know, maybe, maybe not, we shall see, but, um, yeah, just really, really pleasing to see him playing at such a high level. And, and as a number of people commented uh, in recent weeks, he's not just playing left back, he's playing left, like the entire left side of the pitch is him. Uh, and I thought he was 
astonishingly good last night actually i mean he was he was given a lot of space and it did help that there was slightly less snow on his side of the pitch in the first half so he, so he could actually run and pass the ball with their slightly slightly more fluidity um but then, as you say, that it was that was a great individual goal on the back of pressure. But the second goal was was something else, and I know that you're itching to talk about that. I was just going to uh, say about Tierney as well. Obviously, um, Lacazette got on the end of his cross in the second half, which was nice because it feels like Tierney's fired a few of those into um, unfortunately little effect. Um, and Tierney's goal celebration train spotting was on a few nights ago and it just put me in mind of um, Begbie when he realises Renton's ripped all the money off at the end of the <laughs> film. <laughs> and he's uh, trashing the hotel room that they're in. But um, yeah, the, the second goal, I think, um, goal of the season contender for us, isn't it? I just um, throw... Um, it was yeah, sort of yeah. it was sort of one step below the the uh, goal that Aubameyang scored against Leicester a couple of years back when with 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 Özil setting it up and and step overs and flicks and whatever and build up. Oh yeah, I mean that touch from Özil for that goal was um, something else, wasn't it? But um, the the interchange between Smith Rowe, Saka, and Lacazette. And Lacazette, I, I saw a tweet earlier, I'm not going to claim credit for the insight, but you know, Lacazette yesterday was like a man reborn with um runners mm. to connect with. And it's 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 one of those things that, again we've been talking about um you know, the, the isolation of players when they get the ball. And it's one of the things I forgot to mention last week was actually against Chelsea the way the team was spaced and the way they were able to connect with each other was much better. And we saw that again um, last night. Mm. Um, and I think it's, you know, to your point a couple of weeks ago, we, you, you were talking about actually having players in the team that can run. And did we see the benefit of that for that second goal? Um, yeah, and also the fact that Lacazette has, even before he came to Arsenal, has always not quite been a traditional number nine he's always been sort of up for dropping slightly deeper and linking play or playing off a striker um so having those runners in proximity to him suits him quite well uh, and it is much better fit for him as a player than having to be this kind of target man battling against two center halves with no supporting runners from midfield and you know he looks transformed and it's obviously giving us a, a lot more impact going forward. Sorry, anyway, continue. I've done interrupting. <laughs> no, 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 no. I was stretching. <laughs> um, but, I, you know, the joy of that goal was Smith Rowe giving and going and Saka giving and going. And it's, they both lost their markers easily. And Again, it's one of those goals that, you know, forged on how end, um, mm. what we've been crying out for for the last couple of months, really. Um, yeah, it was a, and it was the kind of goal which you can definitely see the the Wenger blueprint because we've seen that, you know, we've seen that with Ozil, we've seen that in earlier times with, you know, maybe Ramsey and Wilshire breaking into those spaces or even before that, it, you know, it's that same thing that, when the Invincibles were at their absolute clicking best, 
it was that kind of movement. It was the quick passing interchange and movement around the edge of the box. And before the opposition have tracked the first run, the ball's gone to the second guy and then he's got to the third guy who taps it in. And, and you know, we know that that's the kind of football we would love to see. And we know how effective it can be. It's not easy, of course. But I mean, so it gives us, it gives us multi-generational warm feelings inside, you know. Yeah, definitely. Um, I was just going to say on Smith Rowe as well, one of the things that I, I really has impressed me over the last three weeks is when he loses the ball, he very, very, very quickly gets into position to win it back. And I think um, he's probably surprising opposition players with that with the speed with which he's able to move. Um, mm-hmm. You know, aside from his intelligence in possession. Um, I, as I said to my uncle last night, I think he's making himself undroppable. It's, you know, the first game that he gets dropped out of is going to be a little bit of uproar on Twitter, I think. No. Yeah, I mean, it is a, it is a difficult thing because obviously we can't play him ad infinitum because of his injury history. We've got to be careful with him. But I'm absolutely made up because, you know, we've spoken before for the last couple of years about how we all felt he could make an impact in, and really bring something to this team that we're otherwise lacking. Sort of regardless of of individual performance level, just because of the qualities he's had, but then he's adding performance level to that as well. Um, and, and I think what was so pleasing about his performance in the last couple of games and, and, and indeed for the goal there is it was the first time we've seen an Arsenal play player do that and try and make those kind of movements and interchanges that quickly since Ozil did his back in at the turn of 2018. You know, since Ozil's done his back, he's even when he's been in the team, he hasn't, he's still got the same intelligence and dreamy technique, but he hasn't got the same ability to get around different spaces as quickly and get into wide areas and, and play at number 10 and over and go past the striker, which of course for a player of that type who, who their, their skill set is so predominant on not the techniques as much as the, the ability to utilize space. It's limited Ozil's ability to do that. And also there's been other issues in there, which we won't go into, but we've got uh, Smith Rowe is a, is a player who instinctively has a, and has had for a while a similar appreciation of space. And Saka's got a bit of that as well. So it makes sense that they would interchange very well because, you know, they, they, they're looking for seams the whole time. They're looking for, like, uh, weak points in the opposition the whole time. Whereas we've got too many players who want to do what they do without necessarily reading the situation and adapting. Um, so that was very exciting and, you know, as uh, Smithrow and Ozil exchanging some Twitter love as well after the game. Uh, although Ozil making a slightly potentially pointed comment about having a number 10 in and the impact of that, but we'll, we'll, we'll let others lift, uh, sort of argue about whether, whether that was a, a point scoring exercise or just celebrating a, a protege doing well. I mean, certainly Smithrow has said on previous occasions down the years how much he looks up to Ursula and wants to learn from him. So if that's a benefit to Ursula still hanging around that he's teaching Smith Rowe, then maybe that's worth some of his salary. Um but yeah, it was as you say, it was it was just the movement, um, the speed at which things does. And of course as Smith Rowe has also got, which Urzolf has never had, 
as you say, is that ability to cover defensively effectively and try and win the ball back. And that's ultimately what has led Ozil to being expendable is that before, you know, his peak, he was, he was providing so much in attacking sense, you could live with the fact he wasn't going to win a tackle in his life. Or if he did, it would be a surprise to everyone. Um, a bit like Perez, you know, Perez was not a tackler, but when he did tackle someone, he noticed. Um, but you can only get away with that if you're really producing at a top, top level in offensive areas. And once you stop doing that, then you you can't ignore the defensive weakness, whereas Smithrow is showing a more rounded game. Obviously, he's not the same technical level as Ozil and might never be because that's an you know, astonishing technical level. But um, yeah, bodes really well going forward. And and I, I thought Smithrow's ability to sustain his style of play throughout the match, you know, in difficult conditions, was almost as impressive as his actual performance. I mean, looking at the second half, what was your feelings about about the the second part of the game? Um, I was a bit disappointed we didn't get more than four in the end. <laughs> <laughs> but Three, one, five. you know, yeah, yeah. I think um, I said after the game, I, there was a point where they they just wanted to manage the game. You know, they'd come out of uh, you know traditionally heavy Christmas schedule. Um, we've scored eight goals. We've conceded one. I think, you know, to come away from a game that you've won 4-0 away from home, wherever you are in the Premier League, and feel like you're a, a little bit disappointed is, um, you know, two weeks ago or three weeks ago, if you said, after we're going to win 4-0 away from home, well, I'll have some of what you're smoking. Thanks very much. But um, I think... Uh, obviously great that Lacazette is now banging the goals in. Um, yeah, this is actually the, a season for us in terms of minutes per goal. Right. So. It's, um, I, I think he was, you know, aside from what I've already said, he was so impressive yesterday. I mean, he, he, he could have had four on his own. I think he was... Um, Again, we talked about it last week, you know, not going for the lift and going for a blaster. He, he would have probably scored if he tried to do the Arshavin lift um, from the angle in the first half. Yeah, yeah I think yeah. in the second half, he had a, quite a good chance as well. Um, I've, it's interesting to me, and I just saw uh, Lewis Ambrose tweet just before we uh, started recording, he was uh, replying to someone that was basically saying, oh, Bamiyang should be dropped. He's not playing well. And I sort of wonder how much, I mean, Tierney had a great game yesterday regardless, but how much of that was helped by Aubameyang's movement in front of him. And also, actually, um, Aubameyang on, on another day, he would have had two goals yesterday, you know, inches away from that sack across. Yeah. <laughs> um, and unlucky in the second half. Um, and I, I, maybe it's the constant state of the football fan. I, I remember, you know, if we'd been doing this podcast in 2003-4, I probably would have been saying things like, why can't Dwayne Pennant get in the team? Um, but, you know, you're never really satisfied. But it is very strange to me that some people's takeaway from yesterday is, Oh, well, Aubameyang didn't play very well. 
he didn't score. He needs to be dropped. I mean, come on. Well, for, for, for me, I'd say he didn't play very well. Um, he does need to score. He doesn't need to be dropped because ultimately, uh, I think this was, I think Dan of this parish, Dan Critchlow on Twitter, uh, said that, uh, that Aubameyang had the highest XG chain, which is apparently the total XG of every possession a player is involved in for us yesterday. And of course, as you say, he nearly scored a couple of times, nearly scored against Brighton. You know, his overall play wasn't great. He didn't do anything that spectacular, but he was still involved in build in build-ups that created chances and nearly scored a couple of times. And his track record is that if he keeps on getting chances very soon, he's going to score some goals. <laughs> you know, that's yeah. that's his career. He's always been a player that misses the odd chance, apart from the back end of last season when he was playing, he was finishing at an uber elite level. But he's always been a striker that, you know, misses some chances, but he's always been a player who the quality of his movement gets him chances, like a sort of, well, a better Andy Cole, essentially. Um, in terms of that sort of type of player. And you're never going to see a lot of him in build-up because he's never been that player. Um, he's just not performing at the level that we saw the second half of last season and maybe the last couple of years, which were which where he was out-achieving in every area. And frankly, if we're winning without relying on him, I'm happy. You know, I, I, Exactly right. Because you know, you know, goals will come with him. That's that's been his career to date. You know, yes, he doesn't seem quite as lightning quick as he was two or three years ago, but he's still quick. You know, he's not finishing with quite the confidence he has been at times in the past. But he's he's not like missing sitters or blazing chances over. You know, it's very small margins. And yeah, go ahead. I, I think there was a moment in the second half to actually sum that up. I can't remember who put the cross into the box, but he he went for the ball with a defender. And I, I think as the cross came in, it just took a nick of someone else and it just diverted it fractionally. But it was a fraction enough for, for it to just go away from him. Yeah. I'm not, again, I'm not saying he would have put it in, but he would have got to the ball. Um, that one that maybe he could have scored if he was willing to maim himself on the post. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or, or, or even the one in the build-up to our third goal, where the cross comes in and the West Brom defender twats it against his own post. And then Smithrow has the shot blocked by the same West Brom defender. And then Lacazette puts in the, the rebound. But if that defender doesn't make that you know desperate in, uh, diversion of the ball onto his own post... Aubameyang's got a tapping, <laughs> you know. So he's the thing is, is we're we're starting to create chances for the positions that he wants to get into, and he's still getting into those positions. So I don't think there's anything to be concerned about. Yes, he doesn't have the same energy or even close dribbling ability as Martinelli, but he's still putting a couple of good crosses as well. So I'm not worried about him at all. Yeah, I think you know you come away from a game where we um, we had 22 shots on goal away from home um, and you're worried about Aubameyang I mean I think if we were in this in the situation that we were in a month ago where it was like well if Aubameyang doesn't score who does yeah. um, then it's a different it's a different story um, 
but I guess that part of it again is people were so excited by Martinelli, aren't they? So um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And ultimately, there does seem to be some slight friction about how those guys are going to fit into the team together. But as we've seen with with our new young front line, you know, these are players who are happy interchanging positions. So it's up it's up to the senior guys to get on board with that program and remember what it was like when they were happy as they have shown in the past to alternate positions. So there's no reason why they shouldn't play together. But it's about balance. Like you couldn't have you couldn't have Pepe, Abamyang, uh, and Martinelli playing as a front line because where's the connectivity? You know, there's there you know you've got players who are finishers who get in the end of things or individualists but as long as you've got a couple of continuity it's the it's the same problem we've talked about and we've had for uh, basically since sanchez left at a top level and since uh awobi mkhitaryan left at a slightly lower level of we haven't had enough people in the final third who are possession connective players you know, uh, and so as soon as long as you've got a couple of them in there, then you can have the other two being more finishers or more individualistic because you've still got that connective structure, which particularly if they've got players who are able to be fluid and move around different positions, it just gives you so many more options. Whereas, uh, whereas we've had the balance of basically having lots of players that would work well with the players we don't have. Um Whereas I think I, th I think, and that's why Pepe is going to find himself in trouble because he's not a connector, and you know, and there's a reason why he's not getting a look in and why he didn't come off the bench last night, uh, and William was brought on instead because Pepe has all the talent but doesn't seem to fit into a quick passing connective structure. Um, which which is a shame and is a problem that the manager's gonna to have to get their head around in due course um so obviously you've mentioned you know the third goal and then the the, the fourth goal you already talked about the cross from Tierney put on via the knee of a slightly surprised looking Lacazette uh, yeah uh, two, I think two months ago that would have gone out of the stadium wouldn't it <laughs> a month ago maybe even yeah yeah very possibly um or more importantly we wouldn't have had as many people in the attacking area and therefore it wouldn't have got to Lacazette in the first place. You know, yeah. We're, we're showing the benefit of having multiple people who will run in, who will actually run into the box um, and, and not do so blindly, but in relation to where others are going. <laughs> yeah, I think um, that, that was... Uh... The one word that I thought of last night was that Arsenal were rampant. Another way to yeah. it would be that the handbrake has been well and truly uh, not just removed, but thrown out of the window, or at least it appears to for the moment. Who knows where we'll be in another two, three weeks' time. But um, it, it was um, Ian Wright was asked on Match of the Day last night what's changed for Arsenal, and I think he, he said confidence, and it's what we talked about a few weeks ago. Arsenal needed some to go for them but maybe they also needed uh, or Mikel Arteta just needed to put these kids in and see what was going to happen and um, you know what's happening is that Arsenal you know from three weeks ago Alan Shearer was talking about Arsenal being relegated 
now we're looking up at the table and wondering what might be possible if we could keep this fund going. Um, and it's, again, you okay, the, the opposition over Christmas, well, apart from Chelsea, hasn't been the toughest that it might have been, but we've, um, yeah, Arsenal have made pig, uh, enough pig's ears of games they should have done a lot better in this season. That when you see Arsenal, Arsenal playing like they did yesterday, it's difficult not to get excited by that. Well, it's not just the quality of the opposition, it's the type of opposition as well, because you've got, you know, the games we've really struggled in have either been against like elite teams performing at a high level or teams who are excellent at deep blocks and counterattacks. You know, I mean, the, the, the games that we could feel disappointed to have lost, uh, you know, um, maybe Spurs away, certainly Leicester, Wolves, Burnley at home. You know, they're, they're the ones that we should be disappointed with as results because they're the t kind of games that on the balance of play and on the balance of performance, we would expect more from or if we're functioning well as a team, we'd expect to get better results in those games. But those three, those four teams are all, they want nothing more to do than to sit deep and counter. And we're still, we still don't quite yet know how this renaissance is going to work against teams who set up like that, who are actually very well def drilled, defensively drilled and have a potent counter-attacking threat. You know, um, you know, we, we, can take great heart from it, but it, yet we, we can't say that it's fixed because ultimately, you know, as, as Spurs shows against, against Leeds yesterday, you know, if you're defensively solid, but, and are, you know, have got one or two world-class lethal counter-attacking players, or as Leicester with Jimmy Vardy over for, for years now and, and so on, then you are going to be a massive problem for a lot of teams. Um, now, admittedly, We've played those teams now, so we won't have to play them again for a bit. So those those matchups we won't have to live with. But you know, Chelsea, for instance, came to the game a bit fucking up their own ass. They kind of came to the Emirates expecting to beat us. You could tell that was their attitude, and we went for them, and they couldn't deal with it because it shocked them. Um, Brighton are in a bit of a malaise at the moment, and didn't and and uh, but aren't really a counter-attacking team in, the, in that sit deep sense they can do it but it's not it's not their kind of go-to every game strategy and West Brom I imagine if that defense sat deep sat deep and tried to defend it wouldn't work very well for them and that's <laughs> and that's one of the reasons they're going to struggle with yeah. Big Sam because they don't have the personnel to play to play Fat Samble um which which sounds a little bit like a Malaysian curry um but anyway not a very nice one. Um. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so it's going to be interesting to see how things go. Obviously, we've got Newcastle coming up quite shortly. And um, they're a bit a bit more naturally defensive in their structure, but they're having some true difficulty at the moment. I mean, that's obviously coming in the Cup next weekend. But then we've got them in the league, um, what, nine days after that, again, at, both at home. So that'll be an interesting test. And of course, uh, between the two, we've got Palace at home which again will be quite interesting because they want to be a team that counter-attacks, but their defence isn't as good as those other teams. They will have a threat going forward. So they'll be sort of 
they're games we, we would be expected to win, but they're still useful tests in terms of our evolution, in terms of how this team's progressing, because they're teams that will, will set up in a way that's slightly less to our liking. Um, and and will also carry enough of a threat to keep us honest going going to our own end. So I think they'll be really good barometers. But you know, of course, if if we win both those games, then suddenly you know it, things look very different. I mean, a lot of the teams ahead of us have got games in hand. You know, Southampton, Chelsea, um, Everton, Spurs have all played a game less than us. Man City have played three games less than us, which is so their positions are totally false position. Uh, Villa have played a couple of games less than us, so um, we're not going to go charging up the table anytime soon. But you know, we are we are three points off sixth. That's not to say I'm expecting us to get there, because as I say, most of the teams above us have put, have games in hand. But you know, we do have a winnable cup fixture, two eminently winnable league games directly on the horizon. Southampton away will be tricky if they're still playing well at that stage, and then it's Man United at home at the end of January. And of course, they're they're a sort of odd team to watch at the moment, aren't they? United, like <laughs> they keep winning, and I don't think I've seen them play well. Um, yeah, I, I've not watched a lot of them, but on the Skype call I was on last night, Ray, the Chelsea fan, was saying exactly that. Um, but it, I think it helps when you get a penalty every other game is basically all the insight I have to offer on United. Yeah, it's every game and a half. It's like the grand old days of Mike Riley again. Um, I mind you, he is the ref's boss, as, as previously discussed. But yeah, um, I mean, don't get me wrong. Some of it is because they've got a lot of players that dribble in the box um, at speed. But also some of it is very generous officiating. Uh, but uh, we won't get into that one too much. But <laughs> there, yeah, like... I don't really see a man, the Man United are are better than the team we beat at Old Trafford, if you know what I mean. Like they're right. doing the same thing. It's just they get. I mean, they've also they've got a, they've got quite a lot of deflected goals or kind of you know great shots from distance. You know, they're not they're not creating lots of chances. They're taking lots of shots at the moment, so they're you know they are a danger. But a bit like Chelsea, they're a danger because they've got like a lot of really good players. But I, I don't really think they're set up very well. Um, certainly, there seems to be no great tactical innovation happening at either of those clubs. Um, I mean, so for me, I mean, United, as I say, are getting a great run of results, despite the fact they're massively wasting their resources in terms of how they're utilising them. Um, and it's not it's not just penalties, of course, you know, it's other things as well. Like I watched a fair bit of the United game of the night and Nemanja Matic this was against Wolves, I think, when Wolves let in an, an injury time winner for United. And Matic could have been booked like five times in the space of ten minutes. I mean, literally they still have, you know, there is still a thing with refs in Man United. <laughs> uh, and uh, it, it's just undeniable. Um but they are overachieving at the moment, so I'm hoping they come back down to it. But it's going to be an interesting game for us because they're a team that naturally want to counter-attack and are very good at counter-attacking because they have some very high-level players who lead mm-hmm. their counter-attacks. You know, Martial, Rashford, Pogba when his head's right, um, Bruno Fernandes. 
So there'll be a, a danger, but they're equally a team that we know we can get at and we know we can beat. So that will be a really big test. But obviously there's lots between now and then, you know, who knows what comings and goings there may be and what results and God forbid what injuries. Um, just before we sort of start wrapping up and talking possibly a little very briefly about comings and goings, I wanted to pick up on two things we mentioned before, which is one, Kieran Tierney, we were, we were giving lots of love and I, I, and I forgot to drop this stat in now, but he's now our number one a chance creator from open play this season uh, and is the third highest chance creator for a defender from open play this season in the Premier League with 20, which is one behind Robertson and two behind Cancelo. It would be fair to say play for teams that are slightly more successful and more functional. <laughs> than yeah. Team. I mean, admittedly, Cancelo's probably got three games in hand, so that's a, that's a different matter. But, um, you know, that's just to reinforce how well Tierney's done. And also, just against West Brom, I mean, I've seen two different figures for this, but um, one put, had our XG last night at 3.74. Um, that was the lower figure I'd seen. I've also seen it at 4.2-something. Yeah, I think that was on match of the day, maybe. Yeah. It was definitely for something on match of the day. It seems that every single source for XG comes up with a slightly different answer, which sort of makes you wonder about the formula. But nonetheless, um, that's the highest this season. Previously, our highest this season had been not much more than two against Chelsea. <laughs> and it's the highest we've had since January 2019 against Fulham. So, Oh, wow. Uh, or since, in fact, New Year's Day 2019 against Fulham. So it's our best attacking performance in two years, literally. Um and so that was obviously reflected what we saw. And that was despite the fact we kind of took our foot off the gas a little bit. Um, yeah, so uh, I just, only other thing I wanted to touch on from last night, it's an obvious thing because everyone's mentioned it already, but it's Kieran Tierney playing like Superman in sub-zero temperatures whilst <laughs> Angie Maitland-Niles looks like he was practising for the Bolshoi when he came on. <laughs> See, could, it's funny that we grew up in... Uh, Broadly similar spaces and times, but our cultural references are very different. <laughs> I um, I thought Ainsley looked like an extra from the Fame Academy. Um, <laughs> much the same, much the same kit, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Kieran Tierney, or, you know, as I said, lost Power Ranger. <laughs> yeah. Um, Tierney, um, as I said on Twitter last night, made in Scotland from Gerda's. Um, which is how I'm going to refer to him from now on. I think. Um, <laughs> Maybe it'll catch on. Um, but, you know, the Tierney chance creation is probably not um, a massive surprise. You know, we've, it's been our main method of chance creation, it's felt like, mm. for much of this year. And actually what was the pleasing thing yesterday was was the variation in the goals that we scored. Yes. Um, so, you know, we, we had the one that was created in the inside right channel. We had the Cross. We had Tilly creating his own chance. Rob Holding gets an assist for that, despite having very little to do with the goal. Um, and I can't even remember the pinball sequence, what led to the pinball sequence in the penalty area. But um, and it was a cross in the right, wasn't it? Yeah. So I think in Saka moving over to the right hand side of the pitch, righty again made this observation yesterday. I think um, the Arsenal team is now. A little well we are more balanced mm. um and it's not just a case of if you shut the right hand side or the left hand side of the pitch down you you stop arsenal we've actually um 
got a threat um, from from every area of the pitch, and perhaps that's the logical uh, progression you get from having someone in the position that Emil Smith is in um, within the team. Yeah, particularly as he can go wide either side. Um, yeah, to support players out wide. I mean, what's going to be interesting is seeing how the impact of you know this the young players coming in and really staking a claim. You know what that's going to mean for particularly William and Pepe. They're the ones who've got to be looking over their shoulders. I mean, I suppose uh, there were a lot of people who were bitching on Twitter last night and this morning about um, about why did Willian come on and not Pepe last night? Because, you know, Pepe could be the future. Willian's rubbish. He's the past and he's an old man and all the rest of it. I mean, what did you make of that? Uh, and, and more broadly, what do you think about about their, their situations going forward? <laughs> um, I think, you know, we sort of talked about how when Pepe came on against Chelsea, he didn't exactly cut cover himself in glory on like okay he only had 20 minutes or whatever it was but he wasn't on the same level as everyone else that night and it's i i wondered because i was thinking about pepe before we started this podcast um whether arteta might have given up on him actually now and um, we haven't seen much of him across this period and i think possibly we might have expected to see him maybe mm. um or at least more than we have um, and you've got Saka, who's proving he's equally as comfortable on the right-hand side of the pitch as he is on the left. And him going over to that side um, gives you the space to play Aubameyang and Lacazette or Martinelli and Lacazette or Martinelli and Aubameyang, whichever way around you want to do it. And, you know, Lacazette has, in a very short period of time, made himself virtually undroppable, I think. Aubameyang is going to play more often than he is. And, and if you are going to take one of those players out, then with the work rate and technical quality that Martinelli brings to the side, you, you want him at least around the first team. So I think, I think, you know, I sort of said it last week, I think Arsenal are going to have, probably have to take a bath on Pepe's transfer fee this summer. I, it, Things can change very quickly, of course, but he just doesn't feel like... I think Arteta seemed to have more time to reach Nelson, if anyone, out of the two of them. Um, obviously, Nelson's been struggling for fitness of late. Mm. Uh, so, I mean, I guess for Pepe's two years into his contract, maybe it's, you know, this is an optimal time maybe to look to move him on. Arsenal are going to have to take a loss, whatever happens, I think. Um, yeah. And as for Willian, um, I quite liked that he came on, actually, for the last 20. <laughs> He's been sitting on the bench for an hour now. And, you know, to be fair to him, which I'm not very often, but he, he did play a nice passing for Lacazette into inside the pullback last night. There's something else he did that was all right. <laughs> um, He's obviously not one for the long-term future, whether he's at Arsenal beyond um, the end of this season. Who knows? Um, he might be someone that Arsenal try and usher out the back door. I genuinely don't know, but it, it certainly feels to me that Pepe is um, on borrowed time at Arsenal. Hmm. I mean, for me last night, I was glad it was William that came on simply because 
he was seemed a better fit for what the game was, which is that we it was our combinations that were causing West Brom the problem. And the one thing to say about Willian is he is a combination player. Yeah? And as you rightly say, he played that good pass into Lacazette. There was a couple other sort of assist creating positions he played other people into. He also did a couple of crap things, did a couple of points of, you know, a couple of nice drives forward, but then he also did a couple of bits of standing around and watching things happening. Um, yeah. I, I think he's the player that, when the team's playing well, will look a much better player in the same way that he always was for Chelsea. He was a player that was really good for Chelsea for periods, but also had periods of not being great for them. Um, and I think if we, I, I think he's a more, if we're wanting to have players who are more secure and creative to offset other attacking players, he does make more sense than Pepe. If, if, if you'll say you've got uh, Aubameyang and Martinelli on the pitch or whatever. So I think there is a role for him going forward, but it may be a reduced role compared to what he was hoping for or anticipating. Uh, Pepe, as you say, I think is a, is a bigger issue because with him, it's there's no question about talent. There's, you know, his ability to do things in moments, as I said before, is up there with anyone in our squad. Um, but, his consistency of possession, his consistency of combination is so poor that he, he must drive a coach mad because you can you see what he can do and then you see what he does quite a lot of the time and it's very hard to equate the two. And, it, and the thing is, unlike a lot of players of his type, it doesn't seem to be a lack of effort. You know, he doesn't give the impression of being lazy he gives the impression of being incredibly in his own world at times, like not really tactically integrated. Like he seems to be slightly unaware of what's happening around it. And it does not help by his body language, which is a little bit introverted and a little bit um, sort of slightly spaced out looking at times. Um, but yeah, he's he's got a big six months if he wants to be stay an Arsenal player. I mean, that's basically what it comes down to. Uh, at most, he's got another season at the club if he doesn't if if he doesn't make a big uptick. That's that's you know because it'll get to the point where he'll just get passed by by too many other people, and 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 you don't want to crater the guy's value when you've spent that much money on him. Um, so I think yeah, it, it's I don't know quite how a player of his type is going to integrate into this way of the way that the team seems to be heading. Um, but I'd imagine we might see him against Newcastle in the cup. Uh, that seems like, a, that seems like a, in, in the home game, it seems like a good opportunity to give a player who will have something to prove some minutes. Um, yeah. And, and at the same time, you know, Pepe has been totally underwhelming and his performance within games has been poor, but statistically his output hasn't been too bad. So we know there's something there. Um, and and hopefully that will, as you say, secure some res resale value when, as increasingly looks the case, he gets moved on. Um, I mean, just talking very quickly before we fi finally, finally finish, we've obviously got um, the transfer window is open and we've already had a departure. As said, Klasnach has uh, taken a significant pay cut so he can go to Schalke and be their captain and try and stop them getting relegated. Uh, just what, what, what did your thoughts on that first up? Well, the uh, 
North London criminal underworld will be relieved, won't they? Um, how, like, how much trouble with Schalke in that uh, they bring in someone in on loan and they're going to make him captain? That's, um, that's, that's quite bad for Schalke. Um, I think, <laughs> yeah, yeah, clearly. I think um, I was talking about it with the guys on, on our WhatsApp group last week. That Kieran Tierney has basically come in, and as you said earlier, he's the left back now. Um, so Kalasanach being on 90 grand a week to sit on the bench or occasionally come on and impersonate a left sided centre back is um, probably not a good use of his time and Arsenal's resources. So I'm delighted to see him, him go. Um, Saka can fill in a left back if we need him to. Um, um, I think obviously it opens up squad, a squad space. Um, I don't know what's going to happen with William Saliba. We keep talking about it, and I keep reading different things about that situation. Mm. Um, well, sort of, um, last week, that Arsenal are apparently open to selling him now, which I really hope isn't true. But um, we'll see on that one. I've um, learned not to trust uh, Lekeep as a source. <laughs> Uh, uh, because they just make shit up um, a lot of the time. Some, you know, like they've got the stopped clock syndrome. Both them and Gret get French football news on Twitter. Yeah, who seem to have a running vendetta with Arsenal anyway. But you know, they they just throw a lot of shit out there, and most of it's bollocks. So until I hear it from somewhere a bit a bit more informed, that might be what his agents saying. Yeah, it might be that Saliba's thinking, "Fuck this for a game of soldiers." <laughs> But I'm very, I very much doubt the club would be wanting to do that unless they've got very good reasons to do so that we don't know about. Yeah, so I just, I, I feel obviously Arsenal were looking at creative players for the January window. If they can get one of them, a lot is going to depend on who else they can ship out mm. um, in the next few weeks, isn't it? But you would like to think that Saliba will get a squad space and then at least we can see what he's capable of. Um, yeah, I mean, if basically, yeah. if 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 they can find someone to take Mustafi, then Saliba's that Saliba's spot. That's basically the deal. Right. Yeah. Well, I I I would like to see him jump ahead of Mustafi, regardless. I mean, that might not may or may not be practical, but you know, we've got someone that we know is out of the door in the summer. So really, given that I, I sort of feel with Mustafi, if he was worth the effort, of, of worth worth the space in the team than play him but he, he he's not really is he um so i'd like to i'd like that to happen whether it does or not who knows um as the kalasanach i guess we'll all remember him for that very iconic photo after the uh the goal in the north london derby where he's standing there with the flag raised into the sky like a, a roman centurion um hmm. I'm not sure I'll remember too much else that he's he's done for us overly fondly. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, Klasnich for me, he's he's one of one of the one of the players who you could never fault for effort or endeavour, unlike unlike a lot of his colleagues, but uh, just wasn't at the technical level of. You, you sort of look at him and you think, how did you get? in the Bundesliga team of the year. Yes. Um, because he's, he's clearly, a, you know, 
a monster tank going forward as we've as we've obviously alluded to in the past but he's just he just i've never seen a footballer more scared to have possession in an arsenal shirt and and i've seen some shit players play for arsenal if anyone remembers the mid 90s and the late 80s you know aside from the good times there was some dross at the, in those times as well you know we we remember midfield partnerships of david hilliard john jensen and a and other Steve Morrow maybe Ian Selly. Ian Selly wasn't that bad. He just got broke his leg and then got gangrene. Poor bastard. Um, Ian Selly, I actually had hopes for for a while because at least he had a, at least he had a bit of a motor on him. But yeah, Klasnach was. I mean, he he obviously his confidence is completely shot by the time he left, you know. Um, and he was a better player for us when he first joined us, uh, although defensively always a bit suspect and yeah by the by the end he was just scared to get the ball uh, unless it was in the opposition final third in which case suddenly he was quite brave and proactive very odd for someone who was basically started out as a defensive midfielder I think or a centre-half he, he does feel like someone we almost signed just because he was free it's um well at the time we needed a left back and he was just been voted the best left back in Germany at 24 or something like that, 23, 24. So it seemed like a no brainer, but he's a player who has um, gone backwards rather than going forwards. You'd expect players to kick on at that point in their career. And he's, and he's definitely not done that. And um, as I say, by the end, his confidence on the ball was so low that it, you're sort of willing for him to do well because you feel a bit sorry for him, which is not really yeah. for a, a first choice player and, or player on first choice wages at Premier League level. Um, there's talk that Socrates might be might be going if anyone wants to pay his wages or some of his wages. Uh, Arsenal aren't going to cancel his contract, as was rumoured, but there's talks he might he might be taking a trip to Turkey. That. Uh, that famous landing ground for many an ex-Premier League footballer. Um, Ozil's going to stay. It seems pretty clear that's the case, but we'll re apparently we're going to reassess the situation into January, but I can't imagine that reassessment will have changed much from the current assessment. No, it doesn't feel like it would have. <laughs> uh, um, so, yeah, we need to lose a couple more bodies before we can really bring anyone in. The Isco rumours from Real Madrid appear to have died as it looks like he's going to Sevilla. Which I think is in everyone's best interests. Although I think Isco is a very, very talented player. He's he's been absolute toilet for the last year and a half for whatever reason, having been incredibly playing at a really incredibly high level for a couple of years before that. Um, so he needs to refine his game, and I don't want him doing that at the expense of Smith Rowe. Um, and the same kind of goes with Christian Eriksen, two players who've kind of fallen off quite badly. Um, there's lots of rumours linking us to Julian Brandt, who's currently at Dortmund. Um, but with a change of manager, I can't imagine they'll want to force him out the door at this point, at least not in a deal that's favourable to us. I'm also, I don't know how much you've watched of Brandt. I, I think he's a lovely player, but he hasn't really kicked on. And I, I, I'm not sure he's got the motor or the aggression for the Premier League. You know, he's technically very good, quite two-footed. Um good understanding of space, you know, good cross, a decent shot. You know, he's a, 
he's a player that three years ago two years ago i was really excited by but he hasn't really kicked on since then and i you know if he's a if you could pick him up for 10 50 million out of a punt then i'd bite your hand off but for the 40 million he's likely to cost i'm not sure he's enough of what we want to make that kind of deal worth it for us but we shall see mm. um something's just occurred to me about last night um yeah. hector bellerin substitution yeah was that injury related or was well he did get did... a booking didn't he? he did get a booking earlier. I, I remember the booking yeah um so I mean if he was injured it was a very minor injury but I guess when you're when you're two nil up and cruising or maybe three nil up by then I can't remember it's game management it's well it's just yeah. you know if he's if he's feeling a bit of a twinge it's, it's bloody freezing that's not good for the muscles slippy pitch he's got a booking take him off I mean that's yeah that's I mean, don't get me wrong I was delighted Ainsley got more than three minutes at the end of a game once but um yeah it's interesting to um see i mean i thought hector had a very good first half apart from his booking um and he and, and and the booking was one of those ones where you can't really argue with it but it was a classic martin atkinson refereeing display of like yeah we'll we'll treat we'll treat one team differently to how we treat the other team Ta-da! Yeah. <laughs> uh, a man who has never quite discovered the principle of consistency in his in his refereeing decision making but anyway yeah we didn't mention him earlier but actually i thought danny sabayos was really good yesterday as well yeah it was passes a, forward he was definitely more progressive a bit braver with his passing um i think he was i think he's another he's another one that's helped by having someone with legs in the 10 role i think that helps him a lot um but also he's been out of the team so he's got something to prove he's got a position to play for and, you know, we'd seen, we'd commented, hadn't we, in the last couple of games, how El Nini's form has reverted to the mean a little bit. Um, so something else was going to need to happen. And I, it was a selection that I sort of called before the game. And, yeah, I, I think he was pretty good. Although there was still a period in the, it's either end of the first half or early in the second half where he was doing a brilliant job of doing the El Nini thing, of being available putting himself available to receive a pass in a position where it's almost impossible to play a pass to him for the person with the ball. <laughs> right, like, yeah, yeah. Why are you standing there? There are two guys, if anyone tries to pass it to you from this position to that position, who could cut it off quite easily. Just don't stand there. <laughs> but that's, you know, that's one of the many reasons why, you know, uh, at the end of last season, we heard, Danny! Danny being the number one thing on the yeah. side of the pitch. Because Tobias is a player with talent who seems to lack the physical profile we really need. But he's he's got a lot of ability, but has because he's played in about five different bloody positions, doesn't really seem to have a clear tactical awareness of his position. You know, he's he's got good ability and he's got good reading of certain situations, but in other situations he seems quite raw still. For a player with experience, and, and... yeah, I, I play football with a lot of people that are great on the ball, but off the ball, it's um, slightly different story. Yeah, well, <laughs> whereas uh, if you're really shit like me, you have to just be good off the ball because you're fucking useless on it. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I was very good at tracking runners and very good at making runners into space. <laughs> right. That wasn't so, wasn't so good at anything else. <laughs> that, was, that, that was some time ago. Though. I haven't played football in years. Bloody hell. Anyway. I feel like I haven't either, to be honest. Uh, yeah. Well, fuck off 2020. Uh, indeed. Let's hope that 2021, despite what appears to be a fairly dubious start in broader issues, starts to reflect the Arsenal renaissance and things get better for everyone. Yeah, we, we've made it out of base camp. <laughs> we just have to try not to die in the mountain now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, so on that somewhat dark note, uh, <laughs> thanks again for listening, if you've got this far, listeners. Um, thanks yeah. again to Paul for keeping me and you company. Thank you for having me. Pleasure as always. And uh, yeah, well, we've got one. We've got the FA Cup tie against Newcastle coming, so uh, I guess we're both probably predicting a win for that. Yeah, six nil. Oh, oh, there we go. Bring it on. Um, so nothing else to say except for Happy New Year, everyone. Um, hope for those of you wherever you are in the world that you're staying safe at this really difficult time, and that you are not feeling, you know, too impacted by the things outside of the Arsenal world that are going on but at least hopefully alongside all that Arsenal are providing a bit more levity that they haven't been doing of late and it's cheering us all up a bit so have a great new year everyone and I hope going back to work isn't too depressing for everyone cheerio <laughs> happy new year